Hello, I'm Doug Martin. And I'm Tasha Martin. Together, we share the joy of personal relationship with Jesus, marriage, children, and serving Vision Church in Lake Worth as pastors. Well, as the worship leader, I just want to invite you to come and worship with us. Well, something special happens when you come into the presence of God and His people in worship. As the lead pastor, I want to invite you to a very friendly and warm church that has a vision that it wants to share with everyone, seeing Jesus for us, in us, and through us. We're glad that you've decided to listen to our podcast, and I hope that if you're close enough to visit, you'll come by at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday morning, and after the service, say hello to us in the foyer. We would love to meet you. You can also connect with us at visionchurch.ag, on Facebook at agvisionchurch.ag, and on YouTube by searching for Vision Church Assembly of God. Here's my husband, Doug, preaching a message from Sunday. (laughs) We have a different group in here this morning. (laughs) And it's good to see you. We're so glad that you're here with us. More importantly, Jesus said that where where two or three will gather in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Aren't you glad that Jesus wants to get in the middle of everything? Sometimes as human beings, we like to keep him out at the edge, don't we? We like to sing like Bette Midler, at a distance, God is watching us. We, we want to have God working on the periphery of our life. But Jesus said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and get right in the middle of his life. I will sup with him. I'll come into a bread covenant with them. We will sit down, open our mouths to eat, and opening our hearts to one another, and Jesus just wants to get right smack dab in the middle of your life and my life. How many of you need him to get into the middle of it? (laughs) Need him to get right into the middle of those things and deal with those situations and circumstances and bring transformation and change. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to go on and we're going to actually be dealing with some with a topic or in a situation that actually happened on resurrection day on that first day of the week later in the day I made reference to this but I wanted to preach to you this morning a message entitled hope hesitation and heartburn <laughs> this is not a triplet group of girls in a family now hope hesitation and heartburn. Now this ties right into the presence of God. So get ready. It ties right into Jesus getting right into the middle of your everyday life. And we're going to see some reality of some of his disciples who are struggling. Imagine that. I thought that when you became born again and moved into the discipleship realm, following Christ, dying daily, that then life was nothing but a wonderful garden. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden was collected in an old country western tune. That we get this idea. It's, and one of the things that we struggle with as believers is we become born again, we our eyes are opened up for the first time reality of of a life and what it means to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as we move forward in this, we begin to encounter opposition and difficulty. And we hear the words of Jesus, but I'm not sure we take them really seriously. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 
And, and all of a sudden, we start to encounter difficulties moving forward, and we look at ourselves and we say, there must be something wrong with me. Everybody else gets to move forward with Jesus, and it's just every day is a visit to the county fair. Every day is just wonderful for them, but I'm finding some tr- struggles and difficulties. The fact of the matter is, is that when we're walking the path with Jesus of discipleship and moving forward in life and what it means to have him right in the smack dab middle of our life, we're going to encounter difficulties and challenges. We're going to encounter those days just like everybody else does, that they have a big question mark over it, wondering what in the world is going on, and we have something that they don't have. We have Jesus with us, leading, guiding, directing, holding our hand, going before us, and praying for us and standing before the Father against our enemy. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of thanks? Hope, hesitation, and heartburn. <laughs> so let's see if we can't connect. I think that through this message, somewhere in these three areas, we can connect. We need to connect, and then we can move on to that place that the Lord would have us. And we're in Luke chapter 24. We're going to take verses 13 through 32. It falls out into these three areas, hope, hesitation, and heartburn. Let's, let's just all say that together. Hope, hesitation, and heartburn. You almost, it doesn't work its well very much into a song, but you could sing, this is my story. This is my song. And then we add to that, praising my Savior all the day long and overcoming these areas. Hope. Now that same day, two of them, two of these disciples were going to a village called Emmaus. What day is this? Resurrection day. They were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. What had happened? Triumphal entry, cleansing of the temple, prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, cursing of the fig tree, crucifixion of Jesus, laid in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, it's empty. The stone is rolled away, and we can go in and look. He's not there. For most of us, that's great news. For them, it's a problem. For them, it's a great problem. They're talking with each other about everything that happened. What else are you going to do as you're walking along the road for seven miles? It's like riding in the car with somebody and not being able to find a radio station. Oh, no, we may have to communicate. So as they're walking together down this road, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. You can almost sense a tangible change of atmosphere. Don't you know that everything changes when Jesus is mentioned? There's something that happens when you talk about Jesus, even if you don't understand everything that he's doing. When you talk about him, when you bring him up as the topic in the conversation, when you begin talking about the things of the Lord, the things of God, the things of heaven, the things of the kingdom of heaven, when you start talking about Jesus, even if every sentence ends with a question mark, something happens. Jesus comes into the conversation when his name is mentioned. So as they're walking along and discussing these things with each other, 
you can almost see if there were a cartoon drawn or a photograph that has that caption box, not only would they be speaking, but there would be huge question marks over their head because they simply don't have much of a clue. And they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Can't you just see that look on their face? They stood still. They stopped walking. This captivated their attention. Some of us can't walk and chew gum. <laughs> Some of us have a problem walking and just interacting with Jesus on the topic that he's just asked us about. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? It sounds like this, where have you been? Hello? How, how is it that you would be here in this time and not know what's going on? Have you been sleeping under a rock? Well, no, I've been sleeping in a rock for three days, but, you know, that's a whole different conversation. They stood still, their faces downcast, and know the things that have happened here in these few days, and he asked them, what things? Now, Jesus, when he asks questions, is drawing something out of our heart, and he's drawing something out of their heart. He's getting them to deal with what they have seen. He wants, have you ever had somebody ask you questions, and then as you start talking about it, it comes to you in a different light? You know? So I can go into the closet and get dressed for an event, and then I can walk out, and my wife can ask me a question. Are you really going to wear that shirt? Now, my answer is, well, I was going to until you asked that question. <laughs> uh, something tells me that perhaps there's a different selection I need to make. Whenever we talk about something, sometimes we think we have a great idea. Something, sometimes we think we have the plan, but when somebody asks us to articulate what we're thinking and we pull it out here for others to interact with, all of a sudden we say, oh, you know, I haven't thought through that very well. You know what? I was just thinking of one narrow aspect of it, but there's some other things I need to talk about. And Jesus is pulling something out of their heart. Don't you know Jesus loves these men? Don't you know that he has given his life for these men? These men have been a part of his ministry. They're at least part of the 70. They're not part of the 12, but they're part of the 70. And he says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now he's got both of them on the conversation. He was a prophet. You hear that tense? Not his. He was a prophet. And what do they know happens to prophets when they go to Jerusalem? They die. And who is it that puts them down? The Jewish leadership. 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. He was a prophet, and just like all those other great prophets in history, he was put down by the leadership. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people, raising people from the dead, top that. Opening blind eyes, top that. Causing the paralyzed to be able to get up and immediately be able to walk without physical therapy. Try that one. Healing lepers. How about casting out demons at a distance? How about healing somebody at 25 miles distance between Cana and Capernaum? Jesus had done it. They had seen it. They had witnessed it. They had heard the stories. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Facts. These are all the facts we have. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. He came to Jerusalem He was crucified by our leadership who turned him over. He was crucified, and now everything seems to have an underlined past tense with an exclamation point and a great deal of disappointment. And here is the key sentence. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped Past tense. These men have moved from hope, high hopes, great expectations, into a valley of despair. Their faces are downcast. I even Googled the idea of hopelessness, and I saw all kinds of articles from all kinds of places talking about these are some of the evidences of hopelessness. Classical depression goes along with this. Organic styles of depression go on with this. And, and all the sense of defeated uh, cyclical thinking and all the things that go into it. And here are these men who are emblematic of completely of the idea of hopelessness. They epitomize it. Oh, it was good. We had believed that. There is a sense of finality. There's a a sense of grieving. They have grieved their plans. The best laid plans of mice and men have gone down in flames. Everything they had hoped for, everything they had planned on, the thing they had invested three years of their life in was now laying in darkness and tattered before their eyes. And we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These men are hopeless. They have gone from hope-filled to hopeless in hours. Everything has crashed and burned. Have you ever felt like that? I told you that, first of all, we were going to deal with hope. We had hoped. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that there are three things that we need. These are absolutely vital for life. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. If you talk about Abram Maslow's hierarchy of needs, he talks about food and shelter, but then it moves very quickly from the organic things we need just to have life. Water, food, 
shelter, clothing, and then it moves right into our relationship with people. We, we need to feel that we are loved, we are accepted, we are treasured. We need to feel like there is a sense for the future. We need to have hope. And we need to have faith. We need to have confidence and security about things that we don't understand and we cannot see. We have to have these. These are absolutely crucial for life. And we have men who are walking along and they feel nothing but hopelessness. One of the strands of their rope has been tattered. Do you ever hear that expression? When you come to the end of your rope, tie in a knot and hang on, baby. <laughs> hang in there. These men are at the end of that thread. All hope is gone. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's not good. It gets down into the depths of our spirit. It begins to pickle and change the way that we frame things in our soul. Our mind, our will, and our emotions begin to become pliable and change under this powerful onslaught of hopelessness. But aren't you glad that Jesus, when he walks into a scene that is hopeless, by his mere presence and conversation with us, can restore to us the light of the dawn and a sense of a hope-filled tomorrow because he lives, the song says, I can face tomorrow. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. Here's what hope does. Hope functions to nudge us towards the future. We're going to have to deal with the future, and we're either going to deal with hopeful expectation going to the future or dread. Let me just tell you what happens when Jesus comes in his presence into your life, into your boat, into your circumstances and situations. Don't just see Cleopas and an unnamed disciple. In fact, since we don't know the name of that disciple, why don't you just stand in his shoes this morning? Why don't you just stand there and say, I may not be Cleopas and get mentioned in Scripture, but I'll be that unmentioned disciple. I know what it's like to have my hopes dashed upon the rocks. I know what it's like to, to have a sense about the future, an expectation, to lay some plans and hope for tomorrow and then find it all torn to tatters and shreds. I know what it's like to feel victimized in that, and I know what it is to make my own dumb decisions and get myself there. However it is that you get there, every one of us in this room know what it's like to deal with that sense of hopelessness. It functions, though. Hope, hope functions to nudge us towards the future. It lifts our chin up. They were standing there with their faces downcast, but when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to get into the middle of their lives, he begins to ask the pressing questions and he begins to ask, why are your faces downcast? Why are you so upset? What has happened? Now, you know what is interesting to me? We have come a, it, we have come a long way in understanding people's sociology and psychology, and I've had the opportunity to be involved in what's called critical incident stress management. And you know what the most singular important thing to do with somebody 
who has given up hope or is in a situation that tends to destroy hope, simply get them to talk about it. It's amazing. If they take first responders, policemen, firemen, and others that, have, that have, are commonly going in and dealing with circumstances in which homes are being destroyed, lives are being destroyed, properties being destroyed, and people are very defeated, they begin to be quiet about that and shut up about that and not want to talk about that. But if they'll sit down after one of those incidents and actually simply talk about it, same is true with military. When they've seen something, when they have been through a... And don't you know, when you see Jesus, the one you're following, taken and crucified, denied by the leadership and the people, and you see him horribly crucified, and then his body laid in a borrowed tomb, you have given up all hope. It has blown up your life. And Jesus finds these two men who are walking to Emmaus, and he knows one thing, their life has been absolutely turned upside down. And he begins to talk with them about it. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. One of the powerful things that we can do in our power, time of prayer is to pour out our heart to the Lord where we can lay out to him our thanksgiving and the things we're grateful for that he has done for us, but we can lay bare our soul and begin to talk to him about how we feel our plans and expectations have been crushed and displaced and how our hope seems to be draining from our life. I've got great news for you. Jesus always brings hope with him when he comes to the conversation. And if you'll sit down and begin to have a conversation with Jesus, something will change in the conversation. It has to. Because he is life. And he brings hope to the hopeless. Put yourself in the shoes of the other disciple and stand there in, as an audience beside Cleopas and hear what Jesus has to say and just begin to tell him, this is what's happened. This is how it seems to us. Hope needs to be in us and moving us into the future. These three are there, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. Hope lifts up our chin. You know what it's like for the chin to go down, the face to go down, for you to be crestfallen and downhearted. One final thing, we hear these words from the Old Testament, David who said, why so downcast, O oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. He had to even talk to himself. How many of you know if everybody else wants to kill you, sometimes you're, the only one you have to talk up for you is you? But I've got one better. You have Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and he's as close as the mention of his name. And every time we come into his presence, we find hope. Now, let's go to this next section. After they share this, we had hoped. Listen to what they say. They have the audacity to say this in verse 22. Because this is the rest of the picture. Hopelessness comes and stops you from completing the picture. But when we place our hope in the Lord, we start remembering the rest of the details. Now, how many of you know the enemy just wants you to remember some of the detail? 
Jesus is there to bring you into the fullness of the detail. And not only that, but to show you where he is in the detail, where he has spoken into the detail, and you are not by yourself. There is somebody that you cannot see who is there, and you must connect to him by faith. In addition, they say. Now, he didn't ask him anymore. Does it say that he said, well, go on, tell me more. Surely there's other things that happen. Listen to what they say. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Now, all of us guys in the room know what it's like to have women amaze us, right? <laughs> we can, you know, you can tell your wife later, you just amaze me. There's even a country song, baby, I'm amazed by you, right? In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Well, what do you think it might mean if his body's not there, hmm? They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Aren't you glad they're telling the rest of the story? Like Paul Harvey, they want to tell you the rest of the story. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Wow. But him they did not see. Him they did not see. Welcome to hesitation. Some of us have a book in our life, and the book of the Bible that's been dedicated to me is First and Second Hesitations. I'm the guy that if I'm not careful, I'm looking for the optimum perfect shot when I do skeet. Pull, and if I'm not careful, it gets away from the field, and I don't get to knock it down. Why? Because, wait, 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 maybe it's better later. Maybe it'll be better later. Plus, I'm part of the procrastinators club. So hesitations and procrastination just go together, don't they? And here are these guys, and here's their problem. They have a book in the Bible addressed to them. It's called First and Second Hesitations. They have the information there. They have the reality there. They have the teaching there, but they're just hesitating in making the connection. There's something inside of them. They don't lack information. They don't lack detail. They don't lack what it is that they need. They have a hesitation in them. I love to read history, and I've gone through different exhibits and stuff, the history of Coca-Cola, the history of Dr. Pepper, and so on and so forth. And you hear those stories of people back in history who were given an opportunity to buy the first 100 shares of Coca-Cola for 10 cents a piece. And they said, nah, no one will ever drink brown water that's sweet from a bottle. Now, seriously, 20 years ago, if we would have been having a conversation or 30 years ago, and I said, hey, I've got an idea for a company. Here's what we need to do. We need to filter some water and put it in plastic bottles of about 16.9 ounces. Then we need to put a cap on it, seal it, and call it something like Aquapure or something, and put it in 24 packs and sell it by the semi-loads. People will spend $6 and $5 to get 24 bottles of water to put in their refrigerator. You would have looked at me and said, 
I've been drinking from a water hose for 20 years, ain't done me in. You're crazy. Ground floor opportunity, you can invest. No way. <laughs> Have you seen the pallets of water? Have you seen the panic look on faces when, they, when you're out? It's like worse than toilet paper. Huh? What was, why didn't people step up and, why didn't they get involved with the ground floor of Apple, the ground floor of IBM, the ground floor of the PC movement? Why, what stopped them? Why didn't they have more investors? Hesitation. I've heard that little proverb, he who hesitates is lost. And in the animal world, he who hesitates is lunch. Hesitation. Something was keeping them from going from hope to faith and confidence. Remember these three things, things. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But they were having a problem with hesitation. They weren't making the connection between what they had hoped for and what had actually happened that day. They had missed it, and now they found themselves in first and second hesitations. They find themselves in a waiting loop. They find themselves, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe some other time. They find themselves in that zone of hesitation that is this is what's happening when you're there. Stumbling, halting, fear, doubt, lack of assurance, and option seeking other than what is there before you given to you by God. You find yourself hesitating. What's keeping them from connecting the dots? What's keeping them from moving back into hope and, and realizing something? Wait a minute. He was crucified. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. But his body is gone, and angels visited some women that we trust. Why don't they throw up their hands on the road right then and go, Hallelujah! He's no longer dead. He is risen. Why don't they do a Pentecostal dance around in a circle? Obviously, it's not the day of Pentecost yet. But why didn't they do a happy dance in the middle of that road on the way to Emmaus? Because they find themselves stumbling and halting and fear and doubt and lack of assurance. Option seekings going on in their life and they're saying, it's got to be anything other than what it seems it could possibly be. And that is, the grave could not hold him. That everything he had promised us was absolutely the truth. And though he had laid down his life, he had taken it up again. And that means something powerful for us. The grave cannot hold Jesus, the Messiah of God. His sacrifice has been accepted by Almighty God. And we now have the hope of eternal life and salvation in Jesus Christ. Would you give him a hand clap? Hesitation. How many of you know that Jesus can visit you right in the middle of your hesitations? Now, the devil will tell you that Jesus wants to slap you upside the head and then forsake you. But let me tell you what Jesus does. He is the Lord to even those who hesitate. He understands your hesitation. He understands. And don't you know he has a word for you? And just to be in his presence somehow begins to address 
that fear, that doubt, that unbelief, it begins to replace that doubt and fear and unbelief with a confidence that begins to rise up in our spirit, and we say, I believe him. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to step out and follow him and accept him as the Lord of my life. Jesus is the answer for hesitation. And here's part of the answer that will get you out of your hesitation. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let me just give you a a real simple piece of advice. I'm not saying that this is going to be simple to carry out, but let me just give you a simple orientation to this book. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, if you'll go in there looking for an encounter with Jesus, you will find him. If you go there looking for something else, you're going to find yourself frustrated and running into some dead ends. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, you believe that in these scriptures you have eternal life, and they all speak of me. Isn't that powerful? Look for Jesus in an encounter in this word. And from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through Revelation chapter 22, 21, you will find yourself in every verse, in every chapter, in every context, you will find that Jesus is there, and you'll find yourself doing this. Wow, Jesus, you're there, and I had no idea. I didn't know you were there in the book of Genesis, in the book of Exodus, over here in Nahum. I didn't know you were there. Wow, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, in the Psalms. And he just smiles and says, well, what do you know? There, I'm there too. Here, I'm over here too. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't take us and throw us, uh, take us to the woodshed. He doesn't throw us in the trash pile. He puts his arm around us and say, well, what do you know? What do you see right there? Who is that? Who does that remind you of? Does that remind you of anybody? Well, that reminds me of you, Lord. What? What? Really? Let's look at that again. Isn't that amazing? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. How many of you would love to get in a time machine, go back to that moment? What I would give and do to get on that road. Understand Hebrew and hear Jesus explain himself in the scriptures. Wow. Talk about top quality instruction. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted if he's going further. How many of you know that Jesus knows how to pull things out of people? But they urged him strongly, stay with us. What does that tell us? Something's been happening in their heart. They've not grown tired of Jesus they, have, they want to be in his presence more. They want to be with him longer. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. Didn't he say, I'm, behold, I'm standing at the door and I knock, and if you'll open the door, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Wow. Jesus would love to join you at your table. Jesus would love to get into the middle of your life around the table. What happens around the table? 
Family issues are solved. Conflicts can be dealt with. The fellowship around the taking a meal and communicating with people opens up the heart, and there's just something about that that changes the atmosphere and changes the dynamic. And very often, problems are solved and deals are made and things are settled over a meal. Jesus would love to be with you in your meal. Let's do more than simply say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food, amen. But go a little bit further and say, Lord Jesus, you said you wanted to sit down at the table with me. I don't want you to be the silent guest at every meal. I want you to be the guest at every meal speaking into my heart and communicating to me as the bread of life. He began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Poof. Gone. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Wow. This brings us to heartburn. Some of you are wondering, is he talking about tum to tum tums? Is he going to do a commercial for Alka-Seltzer or Rolaids or Pepto-Bismol? No. There's such a thing as a good heartburn. Right? I know what bad, how many of you know what bad heartburn is? I mean, that'll keep you awake at night. And it's not good. And an emotional upset can increase the acidic content and change the pH balance, and you'll find yourself something going on down here in your stomach. Some of us think it was the pizza we ate. Sometimes we think it was bad anchovies. Whoever gets anchovies, I don't know, but they've always said, claimed it was bad anchovies. I think all anchovies are bad myself. That's, but that's a personal taste issue. You can love anchovies and still go to be with Jesus in heaven. Maybe sooner. Not promising, I'm just saying. There's such a thing as a good heartburn. What's a good heartburn? When the power of God begins to touch your spirit, when something begins to happen down in the core of your being, when you're with Jesus, if you spend any time with Jesus, if you welcome Jesus to walk with you along the road, in your hopelessness and in your faithlessness and hesitation, let me tell you something. I want to guarantee you something. It's impossible to walk with Jesus on the Emmaus Road filled with hopelessness and doubt and fear and having opened your heart and beginning to share with him to walk away with anything but heartburn and the best kind of heartburn you've ever had. Change. A fire of truth has touched into the very depths of who they are, and they have been confronted by Jesus. You know, if you love somebody, he's, he always mixes faith, uh, love and truth, doesn't he? Because Jesus loves them, this is the underlying, why does Jesus meet them in their hopelessness and in their hesitations? Because he loves them. He laid down his life for them, for Cleopas and the, na- the disciple to be named later. 
He loves you and he's laid down his life for you and he comes into your position of hopelessness and hesitation and he brings you by his power, by his grace, by his truth, by his confrontation, by his conviction, by his mere presence around your life if you open up and allow him and he brings you into a holy heartburn. And it's the best kind of heartburn you've ever had. This is not stress-related heartburn. This is not a bad meal heartburn. This is, oh, I just love to be in your presence, heartburn. Did you know that you could encounter Jesus in a real way and he could have a transforming effect on your real life, everyday life, that he could do that? Did you know he could do that? There's something that begins to instigate. It begins to burn within us. It begins to burn a holy fire down in the depths of us and it is called life and it's called grace and it's called illumination and it's calling the working out of our salvation and transformation. It's called the wonderful, awesome power of Jesus, the risen. Lord, would you give him a hand clap this morning? So, here's the conclusion. Jesus raises hopes. When you get in his presence and invite him into yours, hopes are raised. Confidence, expectations are raised. It's a supernatural thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a spiritual experience. It's something that happens because we are spirit and soul and body. It occurs first in our spirit, and it begins to transform and change our mind, our will, and our emotions. He begins to raise our hopes. Jesus challenges our hesitations. And he begins to ask those pressing questions. What's keeping you from believing? Why do you have A, B, C, and D, and you're not able to go to E? Do you, do you see how that this all works together? And he begins to press those questions in upon our spirit, and we begin to have our communication with him, and he begins to deal and address those fears and doubts and unbeliefs and those hesitations, and then Jesus restores passion. Wow. Jesus restores passion. He gives you back the right kind of heartburn. <laughs> Amen? And it's, you know it's the right kind of heartburn because you don't want to go take a Tums, Pepto-Bismol, or something else. You say, I hope this never wears off. And let me tell you, it can be renewed and renewed and renewed when we continue in his presence. Just stand to your feet this morning. I just have this question for you before we pray. Where do you find yourself on that Emmaus Road? As you're standing, we're going to pray. Where do you find yourself? As you're standing to your feet, maybe down in your heart, you say, Lord Jesus, there's some hopes I need to have raised. I'm dealing with hopelessness. Things don't look too future. The outlook of the future seems pretty bleak and dark. That should be a tip that you're dealing with hopelessness. The hope deferred makes the heart sick, the book of Proverbs tells us. These men were heart sick. I've got great news for you. Invite Jesus in. He's standing at the door. He says, you know, I, I've got the antidote for that. I can raise those hopes. We can talk about that. Jesus challenges those hesitations. Maybe as you stood to your feet, maybe you hesitated standing to your feet. No, I'm teasing. You hesitate 
well, I, I, wait till later. May, maybe there's a better, more optimum time. Maybe, maybe I'll procrastinate, put that off. Let me just encourage you to, to not put that off. Let, let's not hesitate and say, I'll, I'll never be good enough, never clean enough, never have everything perfect, but Jesus, you want to come to my house, I'm going to throw open the door, and we're going to go sit down at the table. I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to press forward. Maybe we're standing to our feet this morning and saying, Lord, I just need that fire to be relit in my spirit. I need you to do a work in me in passion. I need my heart to be reignited. I need to be like Cleopas and the disciple to be named later and say, did not our hearts burn within us? Being in God's presence and feeling that good heartburn, being in his presence and feeling that good heartburn, we just want the Lord to renew that. So wherever you find yourself, let's just reach a hand up towards heaven right now and say, Lord Jesus, you are resurrected, you are risen. You have won over death, hell, and the grave, and you are here in our midst. We are in your presence. You're in our presence. And we want to open our hearts to you. We want to open the depths of our spirit to you. We want to open our mouths to you. We want to open our ears to you because we have some hopes, Lord. <laughs> they really need to be raised up. Some expectations of the future that need to be recalibrated. Lord, there's some hesitations we're struggling with, some putting things off that we're dealing with. Lord, there's a, there, I used to have such a passion in my heart for you and the things of God. And I just feel like, Lord, it's, it's cold. It's, it's not as warm as it used to be. I, Lord, I just need a spark. I just need to be in your presence. I just need your holy passion and your holy presence to be restored in my life. You're here, Lord. And we ask you to join us on the road. We ask you to get right in the middle of our life. We don't want to keep you at the perimeter. We want you in the middle. And we ask you, Lord, to ask any question you want to. And we'll give you an honest answer. We'll open our heart to you. Speak to hope, we pray. Speak to our hesitations. Speak to our hearts. And restore, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. We hope that you've been touched by God's grace. As you've listened to our podcast today, we'd love to hear your response via email. And the address is podcast at visionchurch.ag. Podcast at visionchurch.ag. And if you're in the area and don't have a church home, we'd love for you to come and visit us personally. We're located at 4024 Dakota Trail in Lake Worth, Texas. We together have a vision, seeing Jesus for us, in us, and through us.